Welcome to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I am your Cobra intern that is just too lazy to draw hands, and you can't make me. Codename <laughs> Legion Cub. <laughs> Are you mid-journey? Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, you can find us audible interlude podcast on Instagram is the best place to interact with the folks on this show. Tell us what you want to hear about and keep an eye out. Uh, every other Monday we do a live stream and you can tell us what you want us to talk about on the sound off post on audible interlude podcast on Instagram. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, on Twitter, we are GI Joe audible. And you can also, in our Instagram stories, we'll put up links all the time for our Audible Interlude podcast t-shirts. Uh, we've got two designs available right now with more in the works. We will certainly have more available uh, by Joe Fest, which, by the way, Joe Fest in Augusta, Georgia. More on that soon. Uh, it is June, sometime in June. I don't have the notes because I didn't know I was going to talk about Joe Fest, but I decided... I have to talk about Joe Fest because we're going to be there. We're going to be doing something. We've made contact. But I also want to mention Joe Lanta is returning. And this time they're a month before Dragon Con instead of a week after Dragon Con. <laughs> uh, they're in August this time around. So uh, keep an eye out for Joe Lanta as well. We will obviously focus on any... Uh, any G.I. Joe-oriented conventions, live events, anything like that that come to our attention. Uh, and also, always... Toylanta will be coming up in March from yeah, the same right, people Toy who Lanta. bring you Joy, Joe Lanta. So there are two separate conventions. We are uh, scheduled currently to be doing a finest booth for that convention. Uh, I am scheduled to work that weekend, <laughs> so I will not be <laughs> doing any booths or anything anywhere. It's funny, I got, like, work schedule-wise, things overall worked out really well for me this year, but there are a few key things, like Toylanta and Joe Lanta, that I am scheduled to work for, so it's just, it is what it is. You, you gotta make the money to spend on the toys. Gotta make the money to spend the money. All right, guys, well, uh, are we ready to talk about some G.I. Joe stuff? Oh, that's right. This is a joke. Well, I guess I got to go get my Joe notes now. Yo, right. Joe. Everybody get your Joe notes together and then we'll uh, head into this first segment. Well, this isn't really a new segment anymore, but it is one that we're having a lot of fun with and something we've introduced to the show that should last us a very, very long time. And that is rank and file card where we go back through time and take a look at the file cards of those classic real American hero G.I. Joes, written, of course, by Larry Hama. Uh, we started all the way back in 1982, and we're going to go chronologically, year by year, uh, hitting one Joe every time we do one of these episodes. And this time, our subject is Flash. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I can't, I can't. You can't say Flash without doing that. You just can't. It's fitting. That's actually what made him the second figure that I got because hmm. I was obsessed with Flash Gordon as a kid. Isn't it funny the little the little mental connections that you make that like 
as a kid, Flash relates to Flash Gordon, and that's why you get the figure. And there are all kinds of little things like that that don't make any sense to like an adult, or you wouldn't really think about necessarily. But yeah, like, especially why? after reading his file card, <laughs> he could not be the furthest from yeah, yeah right, right, saving the universe. Well. I've been kind of taking the lead on these, but I really what we should be doing is kind of going back and forth between who uh, handles the cards. Would one of you guys like to run down Flash? Go for it, Noel. Sure. All right. So we have our Laser Rifle Trooper, whose code name is, you'll never guess, Flash. Uh... There's, only, there's only one of them. I know that we've speculated there were multiple Flashes in the past, but there right. is only... There can be only one. So his file name is Gambello Anthony S. So I uh, believe he was the first Italian-American member of the G.I. Joe team. Serial number is R as in Romeo, A as in Alpha, 607432985. And as we've said, we will be uh, checking these file cards, uh, well, the, the future versions of them for their flash uh, or for their uh, serial numbers to make sure they're matching up in the future. But uh, I'm trying to think, was there ever another flash in the original line? Yeah, there was, wasn't there? Wasn't there like a a battle core flash or something like that? there was in 2005 oh wow that okay. is a really long time yeah so this is a so character that never, never got really... a secondary release because only... no one could hold a candle the only like <laughs> totally different version of him is the one from the comic three packs where he's in the spacesuit, which we'll talk about that someday when we do uh, an America's Elite. On I was going to say, this would be the quickest America's Elite it would. choice we'll, ever. <laughs> we'll, we'll save him for a packed episode. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yes, then we'll go to his primary military specialty, which is infantry, which was uh, very common for these 82 Joes. Uh, secondary military specialty is electronics. And then a space and then CBR, which I looked up and I am not 100% positive what CBR implies on this file card. The best I can see is it could be chemical, biological, and radiological. <laughs> really? But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's. Chemical, biological, radio radiological, and nuclear defense is CBRN defense, but I've also seen CBR abbreviated in some cases as well. So um, it sort of makes a little bit of sense with what is further down below. Yeah, yeah. And you it's figure he is the laser trooper, so electronics are probably something that is up his alley. It's definitely not comic book resources. Yeah, well, yes, yes. That also crossed my mind. <laughs> His, his birthplace is Lodi, California. So stuck in uh, you, Lodi again. Maybe you saw him in the 1990s hanging out in the crowd with uh, Raven's flock holding up signs. No, no, different <laughs> Lodi. Although, if we could possibly get Lodi in Flash cosplay, let's make that happen. I actually had a great interaction with Lenny and Lodi uh, at a wrestling show in a high school gymnasium many, many years ago. Uh, 
Lenny Lane informed me that Chris Jericho stole his lover boy tape. <laughs> <laughs> ah. And of course, his grade is E4. Uh, again, a, a very common uh, place around these uh, uh, these Joes from 82. Lots of E4s in the line. So uh, we'll go ahead and run down his uh, main part here. Flash is highly skilled in many aspects of electronic technology and is capable of equipment repair in the field. So not a lot going on there. Uh, pretty basic, what you would expect. Specialized education, electronic school, which is explains his military specialty there. Uh, chemical school, so CBR, uh, covert electronics, and he is a qualified expert, M16, M1911A1, which uh, those are, I think, pretty much every Joe uh, in the in this year uh, was the expert in those <laughs> yeah, two. Yeah, those two, yeah. And then uh, XL, uh, XMLR1A, which is the shoulder-fired laser rifle, um, which I presume is the one that he carries. I, I would hope so. I mean, it has the little the stock on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Although the stock really goes more around his forearm than on his shoulder, so that almost doesn't make any sense. And then I actually is the XMLR the the standard issue snow job laser gun? Is that what that's called? And that well, they rang a bell when you said it. Yeah. So now I think I, I think that might be what okay, they assigned wait. to that. XMLR one A. Whoa! What is this thing? Uh, so the XML, XMLR 3A is the snow job rifle. Okay, yeah, this is Flash's. And, but then there's no, it's on, different. on Etsy, oh, somebody's made a classified scale version of yeah. this. Man, I really want a classified Flash. I really, really want to see how cool and detailed he looks. Well, I think he'll be getting one at some point. I think so. I think yeah. they're going to hit the original 13. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, well, very, Most of them, at least. I, I, I like the specification that he's capable of equipment repair in the field. Like, I realize that's not, like, the biggest thing in the world, but it is a cool... It's a cool thing to specify. Like, these guys are out active duty, battlefield conditions, and this guy, if your stuff breaks down, he can handle it. Like, right. I actually do like they point out that qualification. And there were only 13 of them out in the field. So they right, had to have right. a guy that could do all, <laughs> anything that came up. So you had to have right. somebody who could who could repair the equipment. <laughs> so uh, we'll get to the uh, the quote here. As we have uh, we have speculated, these are in our in our headcanon written by General Hawk. Although they're really written by Larry Hama. Flash is methodical and persistent has an innate and unshakable faith in the order of the universe. He's working on his master's degree in electronic engineering, in parentheses, nights. So, uh, hey, he's got some got some time to take some night school classes. Good for him. I like that. I like the idea that the laser rifle guy, obviously he is the, you know, in 1982, he would have been at the forefront of the technology that we're dealing with in G.I. Joe. Right. So they present him as kind of this tech geek kind of guy. And I, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Remember when this was the most outlandish figure in the line. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, 
and I like the you know the art that we've got on the the front of the uh, package and also here on the file card. One of the more posy art pieces, I feel like he's he's like doing the turn. Look at my laser rifle. He's like, springing himself into action. Yes. Uh, so, an addition that we have made to rank and file is uh, my father, retired Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Edison West, uh, who served in the Army. I have sent him a number of these file cards, and as long as he's still interested in doing it, I will continue to send him these file cards, and he seems to enjoy it. He seems to get a kick out of it. Uh, So, Lieutenant Colonel Tom West, codename Mongoose, his input on the laser rifle trooper is based on his credentials, would be much higher in rank than E4 unless he has been court-martialed and reduced in rank. With a bachelor's degree and working on his master's, he likely would have been commissioned after attending officer candidate school. Bottom line, rank doesn't match qualifications. So as much as Flash might be methodical and persistent and believes in the order of the universe... He might be a little bit of a naughty boy as well and might have gotten into some trouble at some point. Wasn't that what we determined about our last entry as well? Yeah, it's starting to sound like the Joes are a bunch of troublemakers. The Joes are under a lot of pressure, especially since there's only 13 of them. They got to cut loose somehow and go crazy Broadway style and unfortunately be held accountable. (laughs) So there it is. There's our analysis of Flash's file card. We will be back next time with the next 1982 Joe in the line, as well as input from Mongoose. Which I think this is great. I I hope that you can get him to go through all of the ones we do going forward and maybe even retroactively to do the ones that we haven't, uh, that he didn't do before. uh, Yeah, you're right, because I really do want to hear what he has to say about Cobra Commander. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'll uh, I'll send him. I think Hawk and Cobra Commander were the only two we got to before. I'll have to go back and look. But yeah, he's he's enjoying it. I th- I think it's it actually he gets a little nostalgic because he he very much remembers the initial years of GI Joe and how invested we both were in it. So I think I think he's getting a kick out of it. Uh, all right. Well, it, it, ooh, it is unfortunately time to move on. <laughs> so it's been a hot minute since we've done like a really a review here because we've just been having a lot of fun with segments we've had a lot of seasonal stuff that we've had to do but i felt it was time to get down and dirty and really dig back into gi joe media and Time for another review. And I wanted to do something kind of different because we've we've talked about the comics, we've talked about Sunbow, and it was just time finally to dig into Deke. <laughs> uh I want to do a full megasode about Operation Dragonfire at some point. But for this time out, I wanted to hit just one episode of G.I. Joe or Real American Heroes Series 2. Uh, from Deke Animation. And the reason that I picked this one. Now, Christian, 
you we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You came up with a way better reason than the one that I had. The reason that I picked this one is the first words of the summary were Duke is captured. And I think we've joked a lot on the show about Duke being captured. It was a significant portion of uh, our Christmas episode, the reading of uh, a visit from Sergeant Nicholas. (laughs) So I just thought it would be funny to talk about an episode where the whole point is Duke getting captured. And uh, wow, you guys, (laughs) What, what an experience this ended up being. So this is from season one. Episode 17 uh, of G.I. Joe, Real American Hero Series 2, an episode called The Mind Mangler. It originally aired on November 8th, 1990, was written by Christy Marks. That was another reason I picked this one is her credentials are pretty solid. She has written uh, comic books, uh, cartoons, done a lot of really high profile stuff, generally a very good, very good, concise storyteller. Uh, puts together engaging plots. A lot of talent for, I don't want to say storytelling for children, but engaging but simplified storytelling. I hope that doesn't sound... She wrote for Jim, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Conan the Adventurer, Hypernauts, Captain Power. She wrote the Red Sonja comic. Um, She's done a lot of stuff. She actually created the show Bible for Jim. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she has a knack. Um, I for her Sunbow GI Joe episodes, for her Transformers episodes. Something I've always appreciated about her is when people say like, "Oh, these are just commercials for the toys." Christy has a way of writing episodes that don't, to me, have never felt like, "Oh, I'm just." pushing whatever new action figure or toy we're trying to sell well, well and i will this say this episode my mm. issues with this episode the story is really not the least of it because i think the story is probably the best thing about this well and that's actually and i want to i want to real just one more thing about christy marks before we move on because I I don't want to be reductive about her talent at all. She has a talent for pop culture storytelling. Mm-hmm. I think is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I know I agree with you 100. <laughs> this is a good story. The problem is everything that it's dressed in. Yes. Which I guess let's just dig into well- it. So real quickly. Oh, yeah. Christian, you write some background for us. So I've I've looked into Deke before, uh, but this episode gave me a reason to actually really try to dive into how did they end up with the G.I. Joe license. So something to keep in mind when you're watching these. uh, People in the animation industry used to joke that D.I.C., stood for do it cheaper because <laughs> they were <clears throat> they were the only non-union animation studio in production. Whoa. So they were always trying to do it super cost effective and their style, you know, they did uh Inspector Gadget, the Littles, uh 
mask like Beverly Hills teens. There are cartoons where their style of cheaper made animation definitely works. Um, <clears throat> not so much when you are used to Sunbow. Uh, so by the time they got G.I. Joe, uh, it, what it sounds like is G.I. Joe wasn't making the same amount of money. Hasbro, as we know from before, actually was footing the bill for the series. Uh, so they put a kibosh to it. Deke actually approached them and said, boom, we can do it for this much. Uh, they paid a licensing fee. So Hasbro said, yeah, let's do this. By this point, the Japanese animation studios that Deke was sending their stuff to, the cost of animation in Japan was going up because they were paying their animators at that time a fair rate. So what does Deke do? They go over to Japan and start their own studio so that they can hire Korean and Vietnamese animators and not have to pay them the oh same rate. So, wow. so everything I have learned about Deke has just, it just explains so much when you watch their GI Joe that maybe there was love behind it, but man, it doesn't sound like they gave it the care that it did. Um, also, it's funny to think about the voice acting back then where everyone had to go to a studio to record. There right. was no record on your computer and send it in. So the Deke Studios where they did the voice recording was in Canada. So many of the G.I. Joe voice actors were actually based out of California. And that is why they did not move on like Chris Lada did. Uh, Morgan Lofting did, um, but almost, you know, pretty much everybody else with Sumbo did not because they were not going to go up to Canada. And even Morgan Lofting only stayed for one season. She didn't do the second one. Um, so, yeah, so that's just a little bit of, of background on when you watch these episodes, why they look the way that they do and why they sound the way that they do. Um, and when we do Dragonfire or Dragonfly, I'll I'll get into it. Uh, but those episodes actually have the most budget that Deke put into well, G.I. Mean, Joe they, to make it look more Sunbowish. That miniseries like is not jarringly different from Sunbow. Right. Right. It is in in tone or in look. As opposed to the Mind Mangler, <laughs> which is very different. Um, well, good. Thank you for that background. I, I was kind of curious about how the heck G.I. Joe fell so far so fast. Uh, well, I guess it wasn't so fast because Deke started in 1989. And yeah, the, so there uh, was a gap. Sunbow ended in 86? 87 was the movie. Seven. Oh, 87 was the movie. Yeah, but, so 86 yeah. was the last right, season. Right. Yeah, so the Operation Dragonfire was 89, and then season one, or whatever we want to call it, of the Deke series started in 90. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, all right, well, let's talk <laughs> about this thing. First, first, right out of the gate, 
I used to not because I have watched Deke episodes in the past beyond Operation Dragonfire. I have watched episodes here and there. Uh and I'm always just absolutely blown away by how terrible they are. Uh in the past, I have not particularly cared for the got to get ju- got to get tough version of the theme song. But I gotta say, watching it this time, because I went into this with a very, very open mind. I went into this with my I love all things G.I. Joe mindset. I wanted to find the elements of this that were great and really focus on those. So I got to say, the Deke theme song is actually pretty awesome. So if you'll recall, I I put that little bit of music over the video clip that I sent you uh, before Christmas um, that I'd love to incorporate somewhere because it's actually from the video game that came out around this time that used elements of that original theme. And I've grown to love it because to me, it's very... It's it's anachronistic because I feel like it's something that came out of a movie in like 1985 or 86. Like it 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 reminds me of the montage song from Team America. Uh, yeah, it's it's very it's it's like they wrote it three or four years before and composed it then, but then they they tacked it onto stuff in the 90s. Um, it's silly, but it's got that same like the Michael Cimbello and the um the uh, uh no easy way out from uh, rocky from yeah, rocky yeah, 4 yeah, yeah. you know it's that same kind of like vibe so real quickly um unfortunately i don't have the notes right in front of me but when i was looking into this the gentleman who wrote this theme song uh when you look at his credentials he worked on the music for the a team the greatest American hero. Like oh, everything he wow. has worked on fits. I'm not okay. saying it makes me like the song any more <laughs> than I did. It's not bad. When when I listen to other cartoon themes from around that same time, it definitely fits in yep. with that. Um, so what were, what were you guys, uh, real quick, just to make a note of it, uh, I was watching, I've got the Shout Factory DVDs uh, that that were released of both. I've got both seasons yep. for some reason. Well, I, what were you guys watching it on? Uh, I, I found it on YouTube because <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to be bothered to dig out my my DVDs, and uh, so it's on it's on YouTube. It's on a channel uh, that had uh, it was I was the thirty fourth and thirty fifth view of uh, this, <laughs> and the fact that you watched it twice just makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a perfectly legal and responsible adult download. An import of it. An import, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, but the quality on the DVDs is terrible. Like it was really uh like almost blurry. Like it just looked bad. And then later in the episode, the picture was almost like jumping around. It was it was bizarrely not good quality depending on when that came out shout factory kids didn't have the best reputation when it started out because like their g1 uh transformers of the first series is notorious i have it there's sound issues all over it same thing with their release of jim and the holograms they they really didn't transfer stuff very well uh, or whoever she, did it was not paying attention to right, the screen right. like and yeah see, so the that Sumbo doesn't Joe stuff me. is fantastic 
but uh these yeah these are not so much but i mean i i totally understand if somebody was given the job of like hey you're gonna produce the deke gi joe cartoons they'd be like yeah i'll really give that i'm gonna put my <laughs> best foot forward on that one uh so the theme song is really really killer but then in the middle when you get to the part that should be the awesome voiceover explaining gi joe instead you get I think it's the Duke voice actor who, by the way, I'm it's sure not he's, Michael Bell. It's not Michael <laughs> Bell, no. which sure is very jarring. A very talented individual in other ways, but Duke's voice in this is awful. And I believe it was that voice actor doing this voiceover, which is this G.I. Joe, America's top secret mobile strike force team, the mission to defend freedom, the threat, Cobra. An evil organization bent on world conquest. The battle cry, Yo Joe. Meanwhile, there's a guy in the background yelling, Yo Joe. Like, yeah, yeah, several yeah. Times yeah. Over like, it between every sentence, it's <laughs> Yo Joe, which is better than this voice acting. Uh, so, watching this intro, though, this this is because I, I we've talked about this before. Uh, by 1988, I was almost entirely out of G.I. Joe. I like I really just wasn't following it at all. Uh, if you removed the G.I. Joe logos and Cobra Commander from the opening and played it without the theme song, I would have no idea this was G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. Nothing in this was recognizable to me as G.I. Joe, aside from the past couple of years where I've really started to look into like, the late eighties, early nineties, Joe stuff, the last few years of the line. Like I, I do like, I, I knew I saw plenty of stuff that I knew what it was, but five years ago, I would have had no idea. This was the intro for a GI Joe cartoon. <laughs> that that's how much they just wiped. Sunbow era Joe from the slate. It looks like. 100 for this episode anyway mm, for the first season uh so we open up with <laughs> with duke giving a speech in the worldwide anti-terrorist center <laughs> uh and again as i mentioned duke's voice is not duke at all which my first thought was oh duke is a synthoid <laughs> it's not the case this is no. Duke, and this is just what he sounds like now. And his colors are different too. He's like off model. Yeah, well, and that's the thing too is that when I when I'm watching this, I was like, it's weird to see him in his original costume, and it's not Michael Bell. And I'm like, I'm one. I was wondering why is he not in his V3, and it, that didn't actually come out till '92, right? Because right. I know that in the second season he shows up in that costume, but. um it's it's kind of odd because at this point in time, Duke had not been on the shelf for like five years, six, four or five years. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's you got to wonder like why they're even using Duke. Yeah, he didn't get used very often in the in Duke until no. his, did he not? No, not at all. No. He's only in a couple of episodes. Yeah, well, and that's the they reason. pretty much use Slaughter as the well, and if field you notice, commander because Slaughter is not in this episode yeah. at all. But in the credits, there are three voice actor credits that get top billing, and Bob Remus is one of them. Mm-hmm. But he's not in this episode, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of people who aren't in this episode. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, right. We'll, it's a we'll very it's that. a very bizarre cast of characters. I'll talk so, about okay. that. Okay, 
that brings me to my next bullet point here because I know nothing. Can somebody please tell me about Sky Patrol? Um, well, there's a guy named Airborne who's not airborne. Right. Well, that's because <laughs> I heard over the course of the episode, I heard them say airborne a couple of times, and I didn't know who any of these Sky Patrol clowns were. Like <laughs> they I knew they were all really annoying. But I didn't know who any of them were, but I heard Airborne a couple of times. I was like, okay, so I guess they redressed Airborne. He's in here somewhere. And then at the end of the episode, they're like, hey, Airborne. And this blonde, like, super white guy is like, hello, fellas, I'm Airborne. And I was like, that's not Airborne. Yeah, it's like for years, I presumed that was the same character until right. I realized he's got a completely different name. He's it's not. It's, I think it's the only time in the original line that they reused a character's name and assigned it to somebody new. Well, uh, that's it's, terrible. And it's bizarre because Airborne's such a great character and they could have just easily just made him Franklin Talltree, you know, yeah. v, V2 or V3, whichever one it would have been at this point in time in Sky Patrol. It would make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you've also got a guy, I believe, is it... Um, uh, it it's the same name as one of the Transformers. That's uh, the... Um, that, that looks like slipstream except he's in blue oh yeah i didn't catch his name and, and i meant to look all these up and i just didn't have time uh so i made up names for some of these guys well there, so you have airborne you have airwave you have altitude drop major zone altitude. or major sorry okay drop yes. zone i've got because he is the biggest d-bag in the history of gi <laughs> he is the worst character yeah. that ever created is such a scumbag <laughs> piece of trash i can't yeah. believe he's on the joe team yep. yeah and um, skydive my name my made-up names are in here somewhere we'll we'll get to them but yeah, yeah. blue mustache guy is clearly like the main sky patrol person yeah yes he's that, that that's skydive i believe because he's the one that uh um borrows his name from one of the aerial bots yeah oh okay okay so we've got the sky patrol people and then the vehicles now i am familiar with because the toy versions of the sky patrol i love because they've got that nice chrome finish on let me see if I can let let me try to name the vehicles off the top of my head. They did a shark, a havoc, a night raven, a skyhawk. I think that was it. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think and we don't and see all the of them shark in this episode, though. Do no, we? No, we do. Yeah, we do. Oh, do we? Yeah. yeah they, when they, they mentioned it by name. Oh, whenever okay. they first take off, it is animated in there. Okay. Okay. Yep. And we there get the a, havoc later on. There's a lot to keep track of. Yeah, this big batch of nonsense. Yeah, I was particularly happy to see the havoc, which is actually kind of, in a way, felt like a through line to the Sunbow for me because the havoc was such a later in Sunbow, such an mm-hmm. integral vehicle. So that was actually pretty cool to see. Although, well, we'll get to it. I'll save that. Uh, so we get in Joe headquarters, which the exterior of the Joe headquarters is like similar to Sunbow but different. Like, it's still this gigantic, uh, light-colored edifice of a fortress, but there's an extra piece off to the side. Like, it... It, it, it looks squished. 
Yeah, I mean, it looked weird, but it also, it did, as a, this is a different era of Joe, it did kind of make sense as an evolution of the original base. So I didn't I didn't have a big issue with that. It, it kind of made sense to me that it would be a little bit different. Uh, so inside this Joe headquarters, we get these idiots talking to each other. <laughs> and this is really the first time you see Okay, Deke is aimed at a younger age group than Sunbow because there's a lot of juvenile humor, uh, just a, a lot of goofballery. So don't. This is my note. Dumbbells guy, who I did eventually figure out his drop zone because he is unfortunately the most prominent character aside from Mustache Guy in the whole episode. Uh, drop zone says a real man doesn't worry about nothing or grammar. Apparently <laughs> a real man eats nails for breakfast and choose rock for dessert. Yeah, somebody and, thought that was a good line. Christy uh, Marks. Well, no, the, the next line is the real winner. A real man. Don't draw pansy, pansy pictures. pictures. Yes, dude. I had to rewind that to make sure that's what he said. Even in 1990. Yeah. Not okay. No. At all. <laughs> uh, so this, the the one guy, which the artist guy, who we find out later in the episode, used to be an animator and somehow is now on the G.I. Joe team and Sky Patrol. I don't know how that works. But the one guy that I would like kind of be inclined to maybe like a little bit in the episode, but his voice is the most nasally, nerdy, like, off-putting so bad but i did like the humor of this drop zone idiot liking the picture of him because it's all giant muscles well this is an accurate rendition of me it's like if johnny bravo was you know wasn't charming (laughs) (laughs) well yeah he threw a dumbbell he needs to get his head smacked in. Well, he threw a, a seventy-five-pound dumbbell. Yeah, that the other guy catches and spins. <laughs> like so, so, right there, that scene right there establishes the tone of the entirety of the Deke series. Apparently, that it's just this complete clown show. And that was the point where Dave said, "I've made a huge mistake." That is correct. <laughs> uh that will be my first Arrested Development re- uh, reference tonight. <laughs> uh, so the the background music is really weird, and I'm noticing this pretty early in the episode, in that it is not the Sunbow music, but it is Sunbow-esque. So it's not, like, there's some tracks that are kind of goofy, like they do stupid, like, circus music, but some of the tracks are like pretty decent feel like they or could have been latter day sunbow so and the scoring is not a not complete... so good huh and then some of them are not so good oh yeah yeah but but the scoring is the music is not a complete loss uh the character models are also like just the designs character models are very good like when the characters are just static they look good the second they start moving, everything just goes bad because the animation is 
is just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we get Duke makes his speech. Well, the synthoid Duke with the weird voice makes his speech, <laughs> uh, goes up to the rooftop of the World Anti-Terrorism Center and takes off in a helicopter that I I am aware of what it is. Is it the Locust? No, is it's it the Retaliator, I think. Yes, ah. Retaliator. Because it has that articulated hook tail, right? Yeah. I want to make sure that's correct. Oh, yeah. Because ninety Hasbro Retaliator. Yes. Okay. I've actually been looking at this thing because it's a really cool toy. It's not my favorite, like, Joe design, but the idea of that articulated tail that comes down, like, I just, I dig this thing. Like, if I saw one in person for a reasonable price, I'd probably pick it up just because I think it's cool. Uh, so Duke is flying this thing. I'm down with that. It's all right. It's cool. And then we go to Cobra for the first time. And this... apparently, oh, no, wait, I totally skipped over the scene where the, the thing marked to. Let's talk about Christian. This <sighs> Take it away. This is where the script just drove me crazy because this is this is. I wonder how much of this was Hasbro interference because this is the sort of writing that I am not used to for Christine Marks. Throughout this entire episode, no one can say just Fang until the very, very, very end. Everyone right, says, right. the Fang 2. I've got yeah. these Fang 2s on me. The, like, Dude, that took oh. me out of it so much when Duke <laughs> yes. like... So the, the double whammy of Duke's weird voice and then Duke's weird voice saying, Sky Patrol, I'm being pursued by Fang 2s. Like, weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had but to make I, sure they didn't, you know, didn't go to the, the Joe that was being chased by the other Fangs. Right, right. Somewhere well, else. Okay. Confused because the clearly whiny voice Joe. Nobody else is at G.I. Joe headquarters, so they all must be out somewhere being chased by cobras somewhere around the world. Well, and that's the so weirdest... somewhere in the multiverse, there is a good G.I. Joe episode happening <laughs> while this one is going on. Yes. <laughs> well, that was the weirdest thing about this to me, because as somebody who has not watched a ton of Deke, um, is Sky Patrol usually like a big part of Deke, or was this just a weird one-off that I happened to choose? I think this is just a one-off. Yeah. I think this is basically like they said, we need to sell these Sky Patrol toys. Here you go. Put all these guys and all their vehicles in an episode. Watching this, it made me feel like this series must be about Sky Patrol. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, at least in Sunbow, and maybe it's just because while Sunbow was on, we hadn't really got to the point of having version two and version three of vehicles. Right. You right. know, because they would say, oh, it's the trouble bubble. Like everything had this really cool, awesome name. So to hear them just, yeah. Well, and I don't know, too. even in, even in Sunbow, I don't know that they always identified thing as things verbally. I think it was often enough just to have it on the screen. I don't, because right. I don't remember Cobra ever saying, 
Oh no, it's a bunch of G.I. Joe Havocs. Like, I don't know that that ever really happened. Maybe and maybe it did, but I just it didn't stand out like this did. Right. Uh so the these fangs attack Duke, they make him crash land, <laughs> and then he gets captured. And we see that Cobra lives in a giant bubble called the Fortress of Truth. <laughs> and apparently Nogahide is like a big player in Cobra. Apparently in the Deep series, yes. Just it's just him and a bunch of Crimson Guard elites. Immortals. Or immortals, yes. Which seem to be the least effective Cobra Troopers <laughs> in the history of the franchise. I had always, because I don't know anything about Crimson Guard Immortals other than, like, I know what the figure looks like. And in my mind, they're, like, heavily armored Crimson Guards, so they would be kind of the next level of Crimson Guard. Like, they would be even more awesome than just the regular elite Crimson Guards. In this episode, they are complete clowns, but mm-hmm. we'll we'll get into that later. So we we get into the Fortress of Truth, which I cannot believe this Mangler. And I had a lot of trouble deciding identities in this because we have this giant character that I immediately identified as a robot. I was yes. like, oh, this guy is a robot. And I, I thought the Mind Mangler was the machine that Duke was strapped into that was clearly kind of supposed to be like the brainwave scanner. Yeah, that's that was the... It is. But then it turns out that the giant robot guy that we're supposed to be surprised later on (laughs) when we find out he's a robot, the giant robot guy is the mind mangler. Now, but... I was more surprised when they when they implied that he wasn't at one point. That, well, exactly when they said <laughs> when when she when when we're going to jump around. There's just yeah. no way to talk about this logically. So at one point, this this female character that looks exactly like Scarlet, who they just showed on the screen immediately before they showed her for some bizarre reason, right? She's <laughs> spying on Duke being tortured, and then they identify her as the Mangler's daughter. And I was like, wait, daughter? So is that guy but not a robot? Look at, because look at how they drew him. I mean, he's he's like two he's steps away from having, having... No, they gave him almost googly eyes. He has big, white, human <laughs> eyes for some reason on this Those robot. Those are not human eyes, Christian. You are incorrect. <laughs> you have made a terrible mistake in analyzing <laughs> this cartoon character's gigantic white eyeballs. And if you I... know any humans that have eyes like that, <laughs> I would suggest you run in the opposite direction. It's pronounced Igor. <laughs> <laughs> I, so... I did put in my notes as soon as... Um, the woman appeared. I have okay. So the Mangler knows that Duke has a thing for redheads. Right, right. And then when she makes her big announcement that she's the Mangler's daughter, I was like, okay. And here's G.I. Joe reason number 50 why you should not have kids if you're a villain. 
because this never ends good or a robot right very yeah very very confusing so the mangler so he's just for the cartoon yeah there was no figure of this Mm -hmm. guy or anything Yes, mm-hmm. and and now we're all going to be clamoring for one in the classified line. Absolutely. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. I want a figure of the mind. So he's, at one point, they refer to him as the mangler, but it's clear, like, he's the mind mangler. Well, I think they identified well, him no, as the mind mangler I, later. I, wow, like, because I had in my notes, like, all the humans keep calling him the mangler because she even says i'm the mangler's daughter right but i think later but in the i thought episode, she te- when she tells duke how to survive the machine i thought she called it the you know you do this to survive the mind mangler I, so think, I i think they refer to him as the mind mangler later in the episode okay but maybe everything is a mind mangler i mean my mind certainly felt mangled by this episode <laughs> yeah because it they are clearly setting it up in that whole scene that this machine is what it made no sense. Right. 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 When she shows up, I, I said, what does this take your daughter to work day? (laughs) (laughs) That's my second arrested development uh, reference of the night. Well, and that was, that was the (laughs) thing that was so silly about that whole situation is this, this young lady who, which by the way, initially presents as a teenager, which is pretty creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And she's just in regular clothes, just in like some ripped jeans, white sneakers, like just hanging around the fortress of truth, this giant cobra bubble base, just in her regular everyday clothes. Very weird. Uh, should have tipped me off earlier than it did, but <laughs> but all of this was so jarringly different from Sunbow that the twist of the story was actually very and we'll, we'll we'll talk about it in a minute. We're not going to give the we're not going to give it away now, but I'll just say for the first time in the history of GI Joe, the twist surprised me because what all of this was so different from what I was used to that I just my brain was not prepared for the the regular thing. So, uh and Christy does Throughout this whole part of the episode, especially here where where they're interact the girl is interacting with Duke, this is good Christy character yes. development. For as much yes. character development as you can get in a Deke show, they are really building you to believe the story is going to go a certain way. Well, and like you said, like when you remove the clown show from this, it is a good story. If Sunbow had done this, it would have been an awesome episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I said it, this is the story itself is fine. The story could have fit very easily in the Sunbow canon, the scripting. And again, I don't know how much of the actual dialogue was written by Christy Marks. I don't know how much of that right, was, right, came from, right. came from her. Or if there was some touch-ups that happened at uh, Deke when it was, uh, going into production but uh yeah there's some there's some bad dialogue there's some really really cringy lines 
Well, and, and even more so than the dialogue and the lunch. Well, okay, real quick. But this is isn't this also where we got your first screenshot? Yes, and that's what I was getting to next. I sent you guys a picture uh, because I, I've you know for our promotional <laughs> materials, I have to get pictures of what we're reviewing or what we're doing or whatever. So I try to keep an eye out for particularly eye-catching scenes to include on like when this episode goes up i've got to put up the little you know cover image uh and i took an image of duke strapped into the chair and his hand has no digits it just stops and there's not even like outline for it no. so it's it's almost like they just forgot to draw well, that part of it him. like there's not like even they... a hand it's like it goes to not even quite the wrist Right. And it's it's just. Well, it almost looks like they dissolved his digits in acid. Well, you know what it looks like? It looks like um, Christopher Lloyd took Duke (laughs) and put his hand in the dip. (laughs) (laughs) And then tied it in a chair. Good, because I, I was getting ready to ask, is he becoming Brundle Duke? But we're so very bad fly somebody. reference. Oh, I guess uh, they, yes. they did. They did Brundle Duke, but it was with Iceberg, and it was it was very true. It was <laughs> just <Brundleberg>. as disturbing. <laughs> Brundleberg. <laughs> uh, okay, so we get the shot of Duke in the chair. We get Nogahide for some reason as like a top tier character, uh, and then we get Nogahide runs out of the room. And we get this ridiculous sound effect Clang. Of, of him apparently running it's boing, of him like running into something after he runs out of the room. And then they just get a still shot of the mangler's face. <laughs> like, yeah, there's <laughs> there's all this and this is this is very one of the things that's one of the problems with Deke is that there's a lot of that unnecessary slapstick throughout the show yes. that, mm-hmm. that wasn't in Sunbow and, I, and right. I've always felt that I think a lot of cartoon writers in the in the early 90s especially thought that their audience was younger or less mature than they actually were because it yes. like a lot of things got really really like little kid oriented and, say what you will about 80s cartoons and the fact that they're marketing toys and, and whatever else and how cynical you want to be about it. And you're not wrong to be so. But a lot of these 80s shows that we love and grew up with at least did not talk down to us. Right. right. And I don't know. There, There's a this could have come out of market research. Uh, or it could just be that they were out of touch. So, you know, it's. I'm sure it's probably somewhere in between those two. Uh, So we get that awful sound effect when Naugahyde runs out of the room. Uh, And then after that is actually when my note is some lady that basically looks just like Scarlet is in the Fortress of Truth watching Duke get tortured. (laughs) And then we go to the ad break. Uh, Because there's no explanation of why she's watching this. We just go to the ad break and... uh, we get these CGI ad bumpers. And this was a thing that happened in the nineties a lot is you'd have traditional cell animation, but they would throw in like CGI in weird places. I hated it then, but now I find it kind of oddly charming. 
Uh, see, mine does not have the bumpers, so oh, I'm going to have uh, to look this up. Because it's, it's it's just a CGI like GI Joe logo flies okay. in, and it's very clearly CGI in the same way that like Beast Wars is. Uh, and like, like I, they were doing with the Transformers G2 with the cube, right, 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 right. which was with awful. The, I hate CG it Optimus then. and that kid. But oh yeah. Now, now I'm kind of like, ah, it's 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 primitively charming. It's fine. Uh, so we okay here here we get to the names I had to make up for the Sky Patrol guys, which like I said, I meant I meant to go back and look up their real names, but I did <laughs> not. Uh, Duke's helicopter is barely bigger than a human being when Skyhook and Bottom Hatch find it. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's Mustache Guy and one of the other... I don't know who the other guy was. But I'm pretty sure Skyhook is the name I attributed to Mustache Guy. Um, But yeah, Dukes, the Retaliator, like they're standing beside it. And it looks like they could barely fit into it. And the Retaliator is a large vehicle. Like if you've seen the toy, it's a it's a big... Hel- it's Yeah. It's about the size of the dragonfly. Like, it's pretty big. But in this animation, it looks like it's about the size of the fang. Uh, Hilarious. Uh, And then we find out, finally, uh, the Scarlet lookalike is Megan, the Mangler's daughter. Which, again, my shock at the fact that this robot has a daughter was (laughs) very intense. Uh, but it turns out that is a plot point that because Duke is having a vision of Scarlet and then Megan runs into the room looking an awful lot like Scarlet and Duke in his weird, not Duke voice is like, Oh, who are you? What's going on here? Uh, and she, for whatever reason, which we'll find out later, uh, she's like, Oh, Duke, here's how you resist the machine. You can't fight it. You have to just feed it. Images, you know, feed it non-important information, which I think, again, is a brainwave scanner thing. If I remember remembering correctly, that was a way to foil the brainwaves. Well, it was Snake Eyes. Mm-hmm. That's how Snake Eyes mm-hmm. foiled the brainwave scanner was he just kept giving it non-important information. And so, so I'm actually very impressed that the mind mangler does so clearly seem to be an analog for the brainwave scanner. They, I mean, they didn't get too deep into it, but it seems pretty clear to me that there's influence there. Uh, so finally, we've got Sky Patrol coming to the rescue after Skyhook and Bottom Hatch found Duke's wreckage. The rest of Sky Patrol shows up. Uh, and then we, we see the Sky Patrol Havoc which I would love to have one of these. Uh, And I I will at some point. And then the guy who I didn't make up a name for him because we see him for like three seconds. The guy in the gunner seat of the Havoc throws up a peace sign (laughs) because it's the 90s. Very weird. Where, Where are you guys at this point? Um... My mind has gone blank. Uh, I think wasn't it Drop Zone the one we really don't like? Because at this point, when they're like, "All right, we're taking off," and they told him stay behind, 
because right. if something happens, you got to be our backup. Well, Drop Zone was like, I'm the biggest, toughest G.I. Joe yeah. there is. So I actually do like the shot, that initial shot that they use of the various Sky Patrol vehicles taking off. Like you've got like yes, the, the first, side of the, the wing. The first time? The f- correct. <laughs> correct. So, you know, the the Raven, like it comes in the shot. I'm just like, wow, that is really, really good. Dude, the Night Ravens like, looked deep. Awesome in yeah. this. Well, and so the then, Skyhawks. Like the vehicles all looked really, really <clears throat> cool. Well, the Joe vehicles yeah. all looked really, really cool in this. So then, of course, Drop Zone is like, yeah, I'm not sticking around. I'm going to do exactly what I was told not to do. And he takes off, and they reuse the exact same piece of animation that we had seen less than five minutes ago. Yeah, like two shots, too. It's like the shot, the exterior shot of it pulling out and the shot of it taking off. And and I, listen, I get it. It is a huge cost-saving technique in animation. Filmation did that stuff all the time. Yeah. This art is not filmation <laughs> art though. So mm-mm. yeah. And uh, also and, drop zone, I, there's like oh. no repercussions for him. He, yeah, he, no. he just he he disobeys orders, he goes out, puts everybody at risk, and it's like, all right, well, help us. I thought it would be a plot point. Not really. Nope. Nope. When uh you know, obviously, toxic is is a term we're very familiar with in the modern era. Drop zone is toxic, super toxic. And we toxic haven't even personnel. gotten the part now yet where he's flirting with uh, the teenage oh, girl. Oh, gee whiz! All right, mine is like like he is in this one episode. He is everything that Falcon was. In the movie, without any of the personality, or dare I say, charm that Falcon has. Like, how is he not already shipped off to Sergeant Slaughter's boot camp? So, Megan tells Duke, like we said, that uh, in order to foil the mind bangler, just to feed it inoffensive memories that don't give away anything, but, uh, you know, don't fight it, just feed it things that uh, don't give away the secrets. So Duke brings up these memories of Cobra essentially doing Keystone Cops stuff, complete with just preposterous sound effects. He's got Cobra Commander, like, falling down, making honking clown noises. Uh, He brings up a memory of Naugahyde. And his skull and crossbones underwear. Which was not- fine until he addressed it. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, it, the fact that it happened was like, okay, whatever. But then the fact that Nagahide says, I ain't got no goofy skull and crossbone shorts. Like, <laughs> it was, it was cr- so cringy. Painful to watch. Yes. Uh, so then we get to the exterior and the mind mangler has pointed out to Duke that there are three zones of lethality to the fortress of truth. (laughs) 
and that the Joes will never make it past the outer perimeter, let alone the inner perimeters of lethalness. And he points out, because our radar will pick it up, well, it's a good thing this episode focuses on the Sky Patrol. Right. Which radar cannot pick up. Well, okay. We've got a real quick pause. Drop zone when he's in his Night Raven very boastfully points out that thanks to the Sky Patrol, excuse me, thanks to Sky Patrol technology, radars can't pick me up and lasers can't shoot me. Lasers cannot shoot Sky Patrol technology. Just remember that little piece of information. Uh, So the Sky Patrol effective Joes that they are managed to penetrate the first layer of lethality surrounding the Fortress of Truth. Drop Zone jumps off of the Havoc. Now, keep in mind... The Wait, havoc- so have we? did we already get our line? Because, the to me, the part about uh, Drop Zone's Schrodinger's explanation of Sky Patrol is because we get that line from Nagahide, the lasers will take care of them. Yes. And then you see the island open up with the laser cannons coming out. Which, by the way, the laser cannons look really cool. Awesome looking laser cannons that should, in theory, be completely ineffective against that Sky Patrol armor. Uh, That's what we've been told. Yes. Well, we've been told. So Drop Zone gets shot out of the sky. However, he is taken down by the missiles from a Fang 2 and not from lasers. So we've got some continuity there. Uh, and Drop Zone ends up on the Sky Patrol Havoc. So they're 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 penetrating the layers of lethality. Drop Zone jumps off of the Havoc, which the Havoc is maybe 12 feet. At its highest point, is that fair to say? You think? The way it's drawn here, I don't even think it's quite that quite quite that high. Maybe right. It might not even be twelve, but the way it's animated, it looks like Havoc is jumping out of a low flying tomahawk into one of these laser emplacements uh, that Cobra has, and three Crimson Guard. Immortals. Now, I don't even know what that means. Are they literally immortal? Are they just like super awesome Crimson Guards? I don't know. But in 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 GI Joe animation continuity, Crimson Guard Immortals are the most worthless piece of trash troops out of the entirety of the Cobra Legions because in this episode they do nothing but run away. Drop Zone doesn't even have a gun. But his mere presence is enough to make three Crimson Guard immortals abandon their posts and run away. It's his mustache. I don't know. It's probably his ex body spray. <laughs> do, do you think that this is actually a, a smarter show than you realized? And maybe they, because, because of the grand plot of the episode, the grand uh, ploy laid out by Cobra. Uh, they knew just not to even engage. No, because uh, I mean, no, you might be onto something no. here. I, I would say on a smarter show, I, that would be the explanation. 
but I don't think that this is that smarter show. No, I don't. But for the plot to work, they do. Uh, Give me a no prize. Yeah. We'll we'll allow it. We'll (laughs) allow it. So the Joes penetrate the second layer of lethality surrounding the Fortress of Truth. And this green guy, the animation artist, whatever his name is, Bottom Hatch, uh, he hacks, which at first I actually appreciated what they were doing because he hacks into Cobra's surveillance feed. Like he cuts into the wire and he's like, hey, bring me my rig so I can feed these images to Cobra. But then he says, I used to be an animator. I have these laser discs of cartoons that I made and he plays the laser discs on the feed and Naga Hyde and the Crimson Guard Immortals see the cartoon dinosaur attacking outside. I'm sorry, that's Frogzilla. Frogzilla (laughs) attacking. So Frogzilla is outside of the Fortress of Truth. Where do the Cobras go to escape Frogzilla? Outside of the Fortress of Truth. They (laughs) run out the door, and then we get this completely preposterous slide whistle noise sound effect when one of the Joes grabs Naugahyde, like bodily picks him up. And hauls him over a wall, like with one hand. It's this drop zone idiot again. Grabs Nagahide with one hand, picks him up. The Crimson Guard Immortals don't care because they're the least effective troops in the history of the Cobra Legions. Uh, and then the Mangler, the Mind Mangler, has Megan is helping Duke escape. She gets him out of the chair the the totally not the brainwave scanner and they go to this secret escape panel and it takes at least 17 minutes this is yes so i timed this because it's like a minute and 12 seconds with like no dialogue in this episode where and the music is it's not it reminded me a lot of the uh the Special Missions Brazil tape we listen to, <laughs> where it's just like really bad music and no dialogue, except at least in this case, we have some visuals, but it's not much to write home about. <laughs> and and so Megan and Duke are escaping and the mind mangler with no expression on his face whatsoever, just watches them leave. And then the scene changes. Now, given what we now know about the episode Again, yes, it makes sense in the context of the episode, but I don't believe that was the intent. No. No. It's it's really awkward. It just drags out. They hang on shots for way too long. And then they cut to the next scene. And it's just like you show you you see them all running in. You're still seeing the, the, the cartoon dinosaur on the screen. And it's another like five or six seconds before anybody says anything. And I'm like, ooh, the editing is just not good in this episode. Yeah, it's, it's abysmal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get Megan and Duke are in a hallway, which, by the way, they run out of a doorway 
over the top of the doorway is the most off-model garbage Cobra logo I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. The head is like off-center. It looks like it's smiling. It's just the worst. Naga uh, made that in art class. <laughs> it's real bad. Uh, and then they look down this empty hallway. They see and hear nothing. And Megan says, my father's men. We've got to run. There's nothing there. It's a completely empty hallway. She has really good hearing. And and then later, like two scenes later, we finally get the shadow of somebody with a pistol walking around the corner. But then it turns out it's the Sky Patrol to the rescue. They've made it through all three layers of lethality into the Fortress of Truth. They're there to rescue Duke. And Drop Zone is there to hit on a teenage girl. Like, yeah. and it's uncomfortable. Like, I as a kid, now granted in the night when 1990, when this came out, I was 14 years old, but I assure you, I was not watching this show in 1990. <laughs> if I had been years younger, I would have picked up on this being extremely uncomfortable. Drop Zone's. It's just gross. And I'm trying to remember, because I didn't put it in my notes, no one has acknowledged the fact that Drop Zone is not supposed to be there. Right? No, they don't care. It, it yeah, just... A, yeah, there's there's was. no repercussions for him no uh, disobeying orders. Line, oh, it's nothing. just Drop Zone being Drop Zone. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, so then we get the scene of Duke Escaping in a Dominator, which, by the way, all the vehicles in this look pretty cool. But in the opening, the the intro, like the theme song intro, the Dominator flying down some city street just looks like the dumbest piece of garbage you've ever seen in your life. It looks like somebody glued a helicopter blade to a tank. It is the stupidest looking thing I've ever seen. And I like the Dominator toy. But in this animation, it is just so stupid looking. So Duke is in this weird little <laughs> he's he's like in the little behind the chair, like it's not even a seat. It looks like they've stuck him in like this little compartment. And when we first see him, it looks like he's taking a nap. And then all of a sudden he wakes up and puts his hand on the side of the cockpit and tells him, all right, we got to get out of here. And then the, the guy flying the Dominator, I don't know if it's Skyjaw or, or Cloud Bomber or which one of the Sky Patrol guys it is, closes the cockpit hatch and it closes on Duke's hand. When you... Because I did not notice that when I watched it the first time. And when you sent that, I laughed out loud at it's ridiculous. At work. And I put, practically I'll, we'll did put a this up on take. Instagram. Go go to Audible Interlude Podcast on Instagram, and we'll have uh we'll have this video clip, we'll have a picture of the goofy cobra logo. Like I'm I'm gonna post all of this stuff. So when I need not, a laugh, I'm just gonna go back to that scene. It's so ridiculous because it's well the like it starts off with sleepy dude because he's he's tucked behind this seat just with his eyes closed (laughs) and all of a sudden he comes awake and gives them the information 
And then they close the thing on his hand, uh, close the canopy on his hand. Uh, all right. <laughs> this is insane. Uh, but then we get the big reveal. Oh my gosh. Megan gets to the G.I. Joe base with everybody. What with everybody being all of the members, four of, of the members Patrol. of Sky Patrol and Duke yes. and nobody else. Well, all the members of Sky Patrol, except for the two that stayed behind in the Fortress of Truth to investigate. Right. But everybody else is back at G.I. Joe headquarters. Uh, and they say, you know, all right, we're back with Duke. Crisis averted. Help. Hey, would you like a tour of G.I. Joe headquarters? And she's like, I think I'd like that very much. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> is Megan, like, is this a heel turn? What is happening? The blue and white guy, I don't know his name. Um, I think this might be Cloud Bomber. <laughs> He's the worst character in the history of G.I. Joe. I'm, I'm very comfortable stating that. He's an idiot. He's got a terrible voice. He's the worst. Um, another question I had. Why does the Joe Pewter use the same font as Sniglets? <laughs> why is, why is the Joe Pewter like New York Times Roman? <laughs> uh, and then, then the two Sky Patrol guys that they left Back at the Fortress of Truth, um, Rain Bucket and uh, Condensation, I don't know, I'm, I got no names for these guys, uh, are like, oh my gosh, he's a robot! That's literally the first thing I thought the second I saw this guy was that he was a robot. And they're like, he's a robot! What? Well, we also uh, didn't discuss that apparently in G.I. Joe's vast headquarters, which has, is completely uninhabited except for these Sky Patrol members right. and Duke, um, they apparently have a children's hospital that Duke is staying in because there's a titty bear. A titty bear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they put Duke once again, Duke back in the hospital. The only thing uh, that, that Duke is as much as he is captured is in the hospital. Uh, he's going to be okay. So, yes, there's a teddy bear in Duke's hospital room. Uh, but then we get the reveal that Megan is Zorana. Bum, bum, bum. And it blew my mind because I legit did not see it coming because this cartoon seemed way too dumb to do anything that interesting. <laughs> so it's Zorana. This is it was a great twist. Like actually, it was like, whoa, this all worked because they set the whole thing up. The mind mangler was just this MacGuffin. It it didn't matter at all. The whole point was to get Zorana into G.I. Joe headquarters because she's totally never been there before. Right. Uh, I, I totally uh, wanted them to be like, Zorana, this so then, trick never works. So then Zorana observing the fortress of truth sets off some kind of remote explosion detonation thing and they're like oh no sizzle top and cloud dance were still in there and zorana 
is like sad that yeah. she murdered it's not my fault dance. <laughs> it wasn't my fault i didn't expect it to be in there oh no we're mortal enemies in this war and i totally didn't expect to kill anybody right what about know. all of so no one else was left on the island the cobra immortals naga hide no they're all all, all safely out. gone they're all fine she knows it well, the, she knows Nogahad is fine because his capture was accompanied by the dulcet tones of a oh, slide whistle. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, all right. So Zarena, even though she's deep in the middle of G.I. Joe headquarters, uh, she just runs away, gets outside, and there's a whole unit of Fang 2s outside ready to help her escape. In the scene that we get, all the Sky Patrol guys are chasing her, except for the two... Uh, sizzle top and cloud dance who we think are dead uh, but everybody else is chasing her she puts her arm up and then literally the next scene she's in a fang too because it would have been way too complex and expensive to animate her actually getting rescued so she just appears in a fang too and I like like the fang too is not a bad looking toy again mm-hmm. like the retaliator like, if I see one in person for a decent price, I'm like, I'm going to buy that. Because, I, I, you know, I want to get all this stuff. But in the animation, for some reason, they look really stupid. Did you guys <laughs> feel this? Yeah, they, yeah. They, don't, they don't look good. In... No. And, and I don't cartoon. know if they don't animate well or if Deke made a choice to not animate them well. I don't know what the problem is. But they just don't look good in this for some reason. Uh, And then this is the point where I realize Airborne is a different Airborne. But this is actually, to me, the best thing about this entire episode, finding out that Airborne was not the original Airborne, because I'd be really embarrassed for him if he was in this. So I was glad to find out, like, oh, this is not Airborne. Good. I'm happy. Uh, So then this is where one of the Sky Patrol vehicles, uh, after it being firmly established in the episode earlier on that they are laser proof, uh, gets shot down by a laser. More slide whistles as Scuttlenut plunges to his death. (laughs) As they intentionally destroy his his parachute. Right, which is, they drive I mean, that's, a fang that's pretty to... vicious for somebody who just said that she was, you know, right. kind of upset that she almost killed two people. And she straight up just murders this guy's parachute. So, wait, okay, so this was Blue Mustache Guy, right? Yes. So apparently I decided his name was Scuttlenut. <laughs> uh, and as he's plunging to his death, we get the of the slide whistle. Uh, but fortunately, one of these people reaches out of their flying silver plane and rescues him or something. I don't know what happened here. It's, it's I, the, I, uh, it's the, it's the helicopter and it's tail, it's segmented tail. It's able to grab him. Oh, okay. because That's you know, falling cool. into a helicopter's pro the, uh, uh, from above is probably not a good idea. Well, but that's why it has the articulated tail unit for mm-hmm. rescue and stuff. Right. Right. I'm I, good with that. I'm good with that. Yeah. 
Uh, and then we get, so everybody's safe and sound. Zorana, you know, has escaped, obviously, because that's that's what happened. But she has no information about the G.I. Joe headquarters that she was deep into. Uh, those but, floppy but, disks are lost. Sorry. Yeah, they're, they, you know, whatever happened to those, happened to those. Uh, Mind Mangler, they brought him back to the G.I. Joe headquarters and they put him to work washing Sky Patrol vehicles. Because he didn't blow up. Right. He did not actually blow up when the Fortress of Truth uh, exploded. No, they took him with them. They, they, uh, you know, these, these two guys just carried him all the way out of their three levels of uh, <laughs> defense in this fortress. Fortress of Truth, as uh, uh, the Mind Mangler called it. <laughs> uh, so, normally, when I finish watching an episode of G.I. Joe, I watch like three or four more episodes because I'm like, oh, that was awesome. I'm, I just want more G.I. Joe. This time, uh, I never want to watch any G.I. Joe ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I did not want to watch more Deke at all. I did not let it autoplay into the next episode. I stopped it. I took the disc out of my PlayStation 4, put it back in the case, put the case back in the drawer that I keep it in. Uh, and next time I'm, I'm feeling like I need some punishment. We'll review another Deke episode, but it's going to be a while. You guys just wait till uh, we get to the metalhead episodes. Well, and that's, I want to see metalhead. That's the problem. <laughs> that's the problem is there are some characters and things from Deke that I want to see. So it's going to happen again, but it's going to be a while. Uh, final thoughts about this thing. This is I, bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I think like what Noel said at the beginning, if this had been done by Sunbow, yes, I think it would have been a really good episode. Yeah. Yes, the story was good. And like I said, the the, the Zorana part totally took me by surprise and because I didn't I, expect to that kind of turn. Zorana, she has one responsibility on that ship it's stupid but she's going to keep doing it until she gets it right eventually literally every female character in gi joe that is like not a named character is either zarena or baroness yep right if i was a joe member every time i meet a woman i would try to peel off her face first yes 100 percent it's it's actually, and I've made I've made that joke before that uh, if you ever see a, a female character in GI Joe that's not a name member of GI Joe, she's a name member of GI Joe or Cobra in dis, in disguise, um, to the point where there's certain episodes where there will be a character who I'm totally expecting to be the Baroness, especially when like Morgan Lofting voices that character, and it right. turns out not to be the Baroness. I'm actually kind of like thrown off by that. <laughs> All right, well. Story, thumbs up. Good concept, good ideas. Execution, (laughs) I don't know if there's a great, excuse me. I don't know if there's a great below thumbs down. (laughs) My water has gone down the wrong way. I'm so disgusted disgusted by this that I cannot breathe. If there's a grade below thumbs down, that's what this episode gets. Yeah. It makes me dislike Deke a lot. 
Well, let's uh, let's wrap this thing up, fellas. This is Knowing is Half the Babble, where each of us gets some time to talk about anything we want that may not even be G.I. Joe related. Noel, why don't you kick us off this time? All right. So uh, I actually, because if, you, uh, if you've ever been watching me on camera, you'll notice that I have, a, I have a bunch of Optimus Primes behind me. So I collect a lot of Optimus Primes and sometimes that's third parties and, you know, bootlegs and things like that, too. So um, there's a, a channel that I typically watch uh, a lot of Optimus Prime toy reviews because uh, he does a lot of stuff. So I just wanted to kind of plug it because I've been watching a lot of them lately, um, which is Bert the Stormtrooper. And I don't know if you've ever watched Bert the Stormtrooper's reviews. He does a lot of toy reviews, but he does focus a lot on Optimus Prime. He actually has a, 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 a like a, a series of videos called That's Just Prime. What I love about <laughs> okay. Bert the Stormtrooper, have you, have you watched his videos at all? No, not at all. Okay. What I love about Bert the Stormtrooper is every video starts out with, all right, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to talk about uh, this uh, KFC Toys EAV Toe Cutter. It's a Psykill, and I love this toy. And every video starts out with, I love this toy. And I just, it's the passion that, I've, you know what? It, it gets me every time. Every time yeah, he says yeah. it, I'm like, you know what? This guy loves what he's doing. He's having a great time. And he gets, uh, you know, he he gets me recommendations on which of these third-party Optimus Primes I'm going to buy. So uh, I've definitely made some purchases off of uh, some things that he's reviewed on his show. So if you if you get a chance to watch his stuff, Bert the Stormtrooper on uh, YouTube, um, he he does some he does some fun little review videos. Nice. I, well, and I appreciate that because I mean, you know how much we uh, value enthusiasm here on the show. So that's that's good to hear. I'll check that out. Uh, mine is, I also want to put something over uh, on Instagram. I think everybody should check out Yojo, A-R-A-H. That's Y-O-J-O-E-A-R-A-H. Yojo, a real American hero, obviously. Um, this individual does a ton of custom work. And right now is doing a run of custom dreadnoughts. The last few that have gone up, uh, Thrasher burnout um zanya torch zanzibar so the, right now they're doing dreadnoughts and the work is fantastic because i feel like like a lot of customizers for classified do too much like a lot of shading and a lot like when you get outside of what i feel like a hasbro product would look like that becomes less interesting to me because then you're doing this like fantasy thing. But when customizers are trying, in, in my opinion, trying to keep within the limits of what Hasbro would produce, that's where I get really interested. And I'm like, oh, you're you're playing by the rules, but you're trying to create something interesting. Uh, and that's Yojo A-R-A-H uh, just doing some really cool stuff. But what I really appreciate about their work is they'll put up a bunch of pictures, but the final picture 
will always be a reference of every part that they used. Oh, nice. Uh, the, the Thrasher is the newest one right now. And there's actually a diagram. Well, I don't, you guys. Mm-hmm. There's actually a diagram of every part that was used, including if they had something 3D printed, uh, what the source was. So, in theory, if you wanted to recreate this person's work, you could. And I I think that is just awesome because a lot of customizers, and and look, rightfully so, are sort of secretive about their process. And I get it because you want to have this really cool, unique piece of art. You poured hours of thought and work into this thing. Like, I get it. You just want to put the final product up and have people go, wow. I love the fact that this person is totally transparent about how they put the thing together. So uh, yeah. I, I've really been blown away by by the work and by the sharing of the process. So that's Yojo A-R-A-H on Instagram. Just yeah, he's really, got some really, really, cool really nice stuff, stuff out there. This yeah. uh, I'm, I'm actually really fascinated by this Raptor he did. It has like the mechanical right. wings. Well, it's it's using parts from a Marvel Legends Archangel. Yeah, I was gonna say it was a, from a mo- an MCU Vulture. Uh really, really cool piece. Freedom, uh, Freedom is in there, but repainted. Yeah, it's like I, that's actually I never thought about that as an up as an update on Raptor is to give him like you know metallic wings kind of like you know like falcon or like vulture or something like that right, that right. uh yeah that's that would be an, an interesting spin on that one yeah lots of really good there's a big boa on here that looks absolutely perfect i mean just really really good stuff so i encourage everybody to go check out yojo a-r-a-h on instagram uh christian what's your babble all right so um a couple weeks ago uh, this video popped up in my YouTube. You should watch this. I wish I had written the gentleman's name down. Uh, <clears throat> but he kind of was doing a, a video about collecting not being a competition and how people get very caught up in that Ooh. and how, you know, people like different things just because I like something does not mean, <laughs> especially if I like something does not mean that phantom <laughs> is going to like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it, I don't know, it sort of struck a chord with me. So I just kind of wanted to put it out there to everybody. You know, it, I know it gets said pretty frequently, but like what you like, buy what you want to buy. Don't feel forced to buy something because you see, Everybody else. I mean, literally, I still have my Dusty sitting in my pile of loot because every review for him has been so mediocre that I'm just like, eh, I don't know. I I mean, I've paid for him. He will eventually ship. But I just feel like, you know, if if somebody likes something that you don't like, that's their passion. That's what they're collecting. Just let them enjoy it because there's something that you like that probably other people don't as well, but also don't break the bank or yourself trying to get to trying to collect them all for lack of a a better word. This is supposed to be fun. 
Look, so and that's that's hopefully what we're doing here is keeping it fun for you guys. There are tons of Joe fans out there that love and value the Deke cartoons, and that is fine. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm not necessarily a fan of them, I don't think anybody else should like consider my opinion of them and think, oh, I guess I can't like these. No, if you like them, like them. Don't, it doesn't matter what I think of the thing that you like. That's, that's the message. Yep. If you like something, like it. It's great. It's fine. And, and each of us on this show has things that we love that the other two are like, are you serious? <laughs> and it's fine. That's that's what makes this fun. That's what makes it interesting to talk about Joe and to speculate about things. And maybe sometimes somebody will bring uh, bring up a point about something they love, and you'll be like, you know what? That makes sense. I, I get that. Yeah, because some- I will say there's been, as much as I thought of myself as a Joe fan, there is a lot of stuff that i didn't care for that since doing this podcast with you guys and hearing your excitement and passion about it has gotten me to relook at some of those figures and be like now i see it and i'm really happy that exists same for me same for me anything uh just a few years ago anything post 89 I would have just been so negative on, but since doing this show, since dipping back into Joe and the fandom and like kind of rediscovering everything, uh, I love that stuff. I love like the toys, the post 89 toys. I can find things to appreciate about almost all of them and, and in a way that I never did before. So it's, it's all about just opening your mind and, and yeah, if there's stuff you don't like, you don't like it and that's okay, but, but you can really discover, uh, you know, different appreciations for things if you just open up and listen to people. Yeah. I said, I, yeah. as somebody who never followed GI Joe post 87, when I was a kid, um, and really for most, most of my adult life, it's really, to me, it's been great to see some of the stuff that I, I uh, just, you know, cast off before and said, I'm not interested in that. And then going back and reviewing it and learning more about it. I feel like there's so much that we still have to kind of like absorb. Like, you know, I find out about figures that came out in 80 or like you know, in 90, 91, 93, that I completely didn't even realize that were there, even though I've looked at these lists of toys before. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Well, and that's, that's the fun of it is like, I think of myself, you know, I, I've, I'm a lifelong G.I. Joe fan. But up until recently, my lifelong G.I. Joe fandom was strictly 82 to 80, maybe a little early 88, but that Mm -hmm. was it. And now I'm kind of discovering like, oh, like the Inferno, like Inferno. Dude, when I found that figure, I was like, this is amazing. This is great. So we're we're getting to have this kind of rediscovery of an era of G.I. Joe that we just Mm -hmm. didn't know about before and it's a lot of fun all right well that is all we've got time for this week our music as always is by andy samford of electric minnow music.com 
You can follow us on Instagram at Audible Interlude Podcast. That is the best place to interact with us. If you have ideas, things that you want us to talk about, shoot us a message. Let us know. On Twitter, we're G.I. Joe Audible. Uh, Christian, tell us where we can find that toy photography that you do oh so well. You can find me on Flickr.com and Instagram under Legion Cub. And Noel, why don't you tell us a little bit about the finest? The finest is a GI Joe and Cobra and all uh, related uh, all related factions uh, costume club. Sorry, I can't even make words come out of my mouth today. Uh, it's been a course, long night. It has been a long <laughs> night, and we talked a lot about a deep cartoon. Uh, but yes, you can if if you've even wanted to dress up as a member of the Sky Patrol or any of the other characters from the Deke era. Heaven um, forbid. Yes, you can join us and help us raise money for a fantastic charity called Canines for Warriors. The finest is there to help you make your perfect sky bucket costume. That's right. <laughs> well, you guys, thank you so much for sitting down and talking about G.I. Joe. And as always, yo, Joe. Cobra. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.